You're listening to a live recording from Westside Church in Bend, Oregon. Thanks for joining us. Hi, everybody. I'm so, I am personally happy to be here today. I don't know about you. I hope you are, but I just love gathering together and I was looking forward to today. And, and so thanks for like making my dreams come true <laughs> and joining me at church today. It's good to be in the house of the Lord together. It's good to gather and to worship with one another. Um, my soul needed it. I hope, I hope your soul needs it and you receive something from the Lord during worship. What a season we are living in. Everybody just take a deep breath and like, help us, Jesus. Help us, Jesus, to navigate these treacherous waters uh, that we're living in in this day and age. Um, I'm actually in the process of writing a book. Um, funny enough, I felt like I was supposed to go back to 2018 messages that I spoke um, prior to the pandemic. I felt like the Lord was saying, remind the people what I said. And so I decided to go back and, and just, just kind of write down um, what I felt like that was the word of the Lord. And it's been surprising how much the Lord spoke to us um, to help us prepare for this. Um, he was already speaking to us about how to live in a post-Christian world, how to live in a world that, where there's so much tension and anxiety and, and conflict. And, and, uh, and so, uh, but I'm probably a year or two out from that. Anyways, sorry, uh, you'll have to wait. But I, 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 I do feel there's something God is speaking to us today. And, and the tension, we're living in this tension, I think the church in America in particular, living in this tension of, of wanting wanting to go back, but knowing we can't, to experience kind of what church was like before, but not yet experiencing what the new will be. And we're living in this tension and, um, and in, in the church world, and I think that's, that's probably true in so many other areas as well. And, and, and so in this area, of t in this tension point, we're, we're filled with anxiety and, and, and we get frustrated easily. And, um, and so I just think we're living in this place and, and kind of the tension, the uncomfortable of the in-between, right? And what the church was in the past and what God wants to do in the future. And in this in-between time, I decided to reread a book I read um, years ago. It's, a, it's an older book, 2007. You'll love the title. It's by a guy named Gordon McDonald, Who Stole My Church? <laughs> Super interesting read. I would encourage you to check it out on Amazon. What to do when the church you love tries to enter the 21st century. Um, it was given to me by a guy named Randy Remington when he came to a church in Beaverton that was led by a, a guy of Ron Mel, a guy named Ron Mel who led there for uh, four or five decades, and and he Randy was trying to bring some change, and people were like, "What are you doing to my church?" You know, and so that's what, and so he recommended this, and so it's so applicable for today, I think, um, even though it's an older book. And this is what he writes at the very beginning: We need to think about the fact that any church that has not turned its face toward the younger generation and the new challenges of reaching unchurched people in this world will simply cease to exist. We're not talking decades, we're talking just a few years. How many people of varying ages are feeling out of alignment with their churches today? Some of them think that their churches aren't adapting fast enough to new realities, and others think their churches have simply changed too much. Sadly, more than a few at both of those extremes address the problem by just dropping out. Some stick in there, but take on the role of bitter critics, and they uh, sap the strength of the community in their own way. 
Here and there, however, are marvelous people who seem to understand that a church is not meant to be a club organized for the convenience of insiders, but a cooperative where people combine together to grow spiritually, to worship the triune God, and to prepare themselves for Christian living and service in the large world. Does any of that resonate with you? Like, yeah, I don't, man, this, I don't feel like the, I, I feel like the, I feel like my church has changed, and I don't know if I like it yet. And we're going to talk about that today for a few moments um, because there's something at stake. There's something extremely important for the church of Jesus in the United States to adapt to its present context. Um, in 2018, there was a Barna study done that showed 64% of young adults between the ages of 18 and 29 who actually grew up in the church have tapped out of the church. I think that's higher today than 64%. It's a significant number of young people. Many of them you know. They are your kids or your grandkids, nieces and nephews. That, that they just decided there's nothing there for me. But this study, interestingly enough, this study also showed there's, there's 10% of this age demographic, 18 to 29, 10% of them who, who grew up in the church who stick it out. That's an interesting, those are interesting people to me. And so the study kind of unpacked like who they are and why they stuck it out. And so I want to show you an infographic that kind of tells the story um, and really give you five reasons why this 10% of young adults keeps showing up. Really interesting. And I think there's something here for us as we move into the future. And so these five things, I'm just going to briefly go through them and, and uh, you can... Uh, uh, you can kind of meditate on them as, uh, at your own pace. But here's the first one. They experienced Jesus both when they were young, but as they continued to grow, um, they experienced that worship wasn't just a lifestyle. It, uh, it wasn't just an event. It was a lifestyle. It was something they, they connected with God, tangibly connected with Christ. Their relationship with Jesus brought them deep joy and satisfaction. Um, so their, their relationship with Jesus was real. Um, the second thing that they experienced is 10%. Uh, they experienced cultural discernment. 86% uh, of them said that in my church, I regularly received wisdom for how the Bible applies to my life. And they also received wisdom for how to live faithfully in a secular world. There was this connection um, for young people of how they, what they were facing in the world with what they were learning in church, what they were receiving in church. There was this, there was, there was this connection. There wasn't a disconnect from those two things. Uh, a third thing that they experienced was meaningful relationships. 88% of this 10% uh, found that the church was a place where they felt like they belonged. Like, like these are my people. These are the people, this is, these are the people I want to be with. 85% um, said that there was someone in my life who encouraged me to grow spiritually. And I love this one. 77% said that when they were growing up, they had a close personal friendship with adults in their church. Um, side tangent here. This message is already too long. I shouldn't be doing side tangents. Um, don't worry. It's not that long. It's Westside Church. Come on. You guys know. We don't go that long. Anyway, um, side tangent. What was I saying? Um, oh yeah, that, that, that um, they found that there's a study, several studies done that what we did decades ago in separating youth and children's ministries from adult ministry, actually we're living, we're living now in the consequence of that. 
so that when our, our kids who are separated from the life of what Jesus was doing in this space, they turn 18, they're like, they don't, understand, they, don't, they don't know what this space is. They don't know what happens here. So super interesting. Anyway, um, 77% said that they had significant relationship with adults. Um, that's why they stuck it out. Um, a fourth thing, vocational discipleship. What that simply means is that 94% of them said that they, they, they wanted to use their unique talents and gifts to honor God. They actually saw that they, that they had a vocation, that their, that their gifts and skill sets and talents could be used for the mission of God. Um, and, and then that leads to the fifth one, a countercultural mission. They, they saw that... Um, they wanted Jesus to be reflected in their lives outside of the church by their words and their actions um, and that they were excited about the mission of the church. So this is, those are five reasons why this 10% of, of young adults stuck with the church. And then the, the study concluded by making these three observations, super interesting. One, I wanna find a way to follow Jesus that connects with the world I live in. Two, God is more at work outside the church than inside and I wanna be a part of that. Three, I want to be a Christian without separating myself from the world around me. And this is super intriguing as you kind of dive into how young people think, especially this 10% that stick it out in church uh, through their, into their adult life. So all of this, all of this leads me to this message today of like, we've got to turn the page. We've got to enter into the new season that God has for us because there's a lot at stake. The future of the church, the, the reaching young people as well as all people in our city, it's at stake. And, but I want to do that. I want to turn the page in a way that honors the past, in a way that, um, that inspires everyone into the future but doesn't disparage the, 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 the people that help build the church that we are enjoying today. You know what I'm saying? And, and an interesting metaphor in scripture for this kind of transition that I think we're in is the uh, transition found in the leadership between Moses and Joshua. Now, whenever you hear a pastor start talking about Moses's transition to Joshua, you all start to think, I'm about to give my resignation. Stop it. I'm not going anywhere. There's a horrible rumor out there that says, once I appointed two other senior pastors, that was just Steve's way of getting out. No, it's not. When I get out, I'll just get out. I don't need to appoint two other people. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. I'm crossing the Jordan with you all. And I'm gonna enjoy spending some time. Well, <laughs> yeah, thank you. I wasn't, I wasn't looking for that. And some of you are like, well, I'm still not sure about that. That's all, <laughs> That's all good. But I just, I just wanna make sure you know, as we talk about this metaphor, this, this story, I don't want you to start reading into it more than actually is there. Now, as we, as we dive into Joshua chapter one, I love this because in one verse, one verse, there's this honoring of the past. There's this recognition that, that a season has ended and that a new season is about to begin. And I really believe that's kind of where we're at right now. In Joshua chapter one, verse two, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. In one verse, there's just this idea, okay, where something is ended and something is about to begin. But did you know there's an entire chapter though on the death of Moses? It's one page back. And so if you're following with me, turn to Deuteronomy 34. It's an entire chapter about the death of Moses. And, I, and it's a really beautiful chapter. 
It doesn't disparage Moses. It doesn't, it doesn't remind everybody how bad he was or why he's not going into the land uh, with the people. It's just an honoring kind of chapter. And I love that. And in verse five, I'm just gonna read a couple verses. In verse five of chapter 34, it says, so Moses, a servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, just right across the Jordan River uh, from the, the promised land, according, and he died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. So in other words, it was God's will that this season of Israel's journey would end. And, uh, and he buried him in the valley. Who, bur- who buried Moses? It's interesting. So Moses, servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab according to the word of the Lord. And he, which refers back to the Lord, buried him in the valley. <laughs> Super interesting. In the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Um, Moses was 120 years old when he died. Um, His eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. He died young, young 120. (laughs) My father-in-law Cliff, you got some years to go, Cliff. Pastor Cliff, you got some years to go. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab for 30 days and then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses was ended. Moses died at the top of his game. It wasn't like there was a slow decline and then God changes things. It's like, right, just God moved and everything just, and everything was going up and to the right and then God brought, did something uh, different. Um, Moses could have kept going for another 30 or 40 years. And why, why did God bury Moses? Have you ever asked yourself that question? You're like, well, I didn't even know God buried him. <laughs> well, there's that, right? I'm like, well, that's interesting. But why? You know why I think he buried Moses? And it even goes on to say, and nobody knows the place of his burial to this day. You know what humans do when you have a really amazing season and things, and you, just, and you, and you, and, and you follow this really charismatic leader and you really like him or her and he's like, and and then they die. What do you want to do? You just want to like build a memorial around them. But not only that, you want to build a city around them and dwell there, remembering the past glories. And God would not allow the people of Israel to stay in the past. He wanted them to move into the future. And it was God's will. There's some things about this season. I've said this from the very beginning in this, during this pandemic that I believe that some of this is God's plan and purposes for his church are happening. I don't think he caused the pandemic, but I think he's certainly using it to change his church, to help them move from what was into what will be. Um, and, and, And he had to do something because none of us will change unless there's a crisis. We just status quo. It's just, there's a, there's a handful of, there's a percentage of people that will shake it up uh, when everything's going fine and great. And, but most of us don't do that. Most of us are just like, yeah, things are going great. Why would I, if it ain't broke, right? So God had to break some things to get his church where he wanted them to be. And now those of, those of us who have been part of Westside for a while, we've, You've probably noticed our church has changed. <laughs> Some of you laughed. I'm glad. Thank you for laughing. Um, it's quite painful though, isn't it? Some people have gone to other churches, some long, 
long time standing members of this church. Um, and as I've thought about this, and I've really, I've really tried hard, I'm really gonna, it's not, it's not hard for me to, to not honor them. It's really easy for me to honor those that have given so much to this house, even if they're not in this house anymore. It's really, it's actually something that um, I'm thankful for that God doesn't, it doesn't stress me out um, too much. And, and so I, and so I don't want to disparage anything, but as I've talked with the people that have left our church that were kind of long-standing members of Westside, there's a consistent theme in my conversations with them that have something to do with wanting to go back. Wanting to, to, to experience what God did. We've, we're things like we've, you know, we've never done it this way, or there's, I'm not, sh- I'm not sure if we need to get back to where God was how God did it before and these, this kind of language and, and as a result of them leaving Westside, they're actually flourishing in other churches, which I'm thankful for, but, but it can be a bit hard for those of us that are still here and uh, to, especially those of us that had deep relationships with people that have left and, and so again, I don't want to dishonor anyone um, and, and notice in Deuteronomy and Joshua, there's no dishonoring of Moses. There's simply honoring who he was and what he did and what he accomplished and how God used him, you know, for years. So I want to do that for a moment. For years, Westside was purposefully seeker sensitive, meaning it was very, there was a low bar for people to come and experience the presence of Jesus and thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people over the years met Jesus Christ in the very room you're sitting in. They connected with him in a real tangible way, people of all generations. There, there was, a, set, there, there was a, a, a place where people came to know Jesus and, 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 and took steps towards becoming more like him. In this very room, in this space, there has been transformed lives and many of you were part of the move of God and what he did in this house for decades. And for that, we are extremely grateful for your commitment for your generosity, for your sacrifice. It's amazing. However, the success of what God did can make it difficult to move into the future. And so we need to take a moment and do what God instructed the people of Israel to do and, they, and he told them to grieve. He told them to take 30 days and weep. Why are they weeping? Moses is gone and now this young guy, Joshua, who we don't really know, isn't totally proven, not like Moses. We're not sure about this guy and he's supposed to lead us? Uh, they're weeping. They're not sure about the future. Yes, they're grieving the past and so many, you know, and, and so many people that I talk to, the people that have been part of this church for decades, there is this sense of grief. There's this sense that, you know, we know the church is changing and we actually know it needs to change, but we don't know if it's for the better yet. Anybody? No amens out there yet for that? I don't know. So you're like, I don't know if I should say amen to that, but I really agree with it. And there's a younger group of leaders like Joshua, right? They're finding their feet and they're leading with courage. But some of us, some of us, not me in particular, but some of us aren't sure about the future of the church. 
or our church. And so we need to acknowledge that. Not just like say, oh, get over it. No. This is your church. You invested your life into this place, into this people. And so it's, it's good for us to take a moment and just acknowledge like nobody likes change. Very few people do, especially those who help build the very thing that's changing. So we just need to take a moment and it's okay to grieve. It's okay to like, yeah, I'm not sure about the future and I just wish it could be the way it was. It's okay. But, did, but I want you to notice something that God gave them how long? <laughs> 30 days. You're like, that isn't long enough to grieve the depth of grief I got going on, Pastor Steve. That's not nearly long enough. Um, some of you have spent the last 18 months grieving. Um, some of you have spent the last eight years since I've been, become the lead pastor grieving. <laughs> you need to stop. <laughs> you, need to, you need to get over that. You know what I'm saying? That's been too long. That's just too long. <laughs> I'm kidding. I don't, well, I'm not, I, I, maybe, I, maybe it's true. I don't know. <laughs> but we, there is a, there is a season of grieving, but that, but, but everywhere in scripture, God gives time and space for that. But then he asks us to, to, to move in, to embrace the future that God has for us. Right. And to, to, but to take some time and to acknowledge some of you haven't done that at all. You just have this anxiety or this, this, this frustration inside of you, but you haven't actually taken some time to sit with Jesus and talk to him about it. You need to do that. You need to get it out of your system and, let, and tell Jesus what you're worried about and what you're concerned about and, and let him bring some healing and, some, and let, let his words wash over you. And then there's others of you that are just simply, you're sitting here going like, who died? What's ending? What's going on around here? Um, and... What are we memorializing today? And so I actually want to talk a little bit about that. I want to say, here's what's ending. Nobody's dying. Nobody's transitioning. Nobody's leaving. Um, but there's some things that have died. Maybe you just didn't know it yet. Or maybe you, you're in the process of grieving it. But let me just give you a few things that I think are ending or need to end. Um, church is a checkbox. You know, where where it was just like, yeah, I go once a month or two or three times a month, whatever. And yeah, yay me. And church is somewhere in fellowship and connection with God and spirituality. It's somewhere in my priority list. But it's, you know, there's, a, there's quite a few other things. If you looked at my calendar and my checkbook and other things, they're probably a little bit more important. And church needs to be a higher priority in all of our lives, not in some weird religious way, but just simply because God's spirit dwells in his people and he works through his people and he ministers through his people. And there's something that we need to get back to on that and say, no, it's a higher priority. It's important for me and my family to be a part of a healthy, vibrant church. And another thing that needs, it kind of goes along with this, is consumer Christianity that needs to end. Remember, uh, Pastor David last week called it the McDonaldization of the church. There's actually a book on, with that title. It's super interesting. How, how we, um, in, the, in America in particular, we've, we've gotten used to kind of um, treating church like we treat um, a restaurant. If we like the food, we go back. If we don't like the food, especially if you live in Bend, there's 1,800 other churches out there. <laughs> right? Uh, uh, restaurants, right? So, so it's like we kind of pick and choose and, oh, and, 
and so because there's so many restaurants in Bend, restaurants, you gotta, you gotta be on your game, man. You gotta top shelf stuff, man. You gotta like, do you see how this drives something that's actually unhealthy in the church? And we've gotta get rid of that. We gotta say, no, I'm not, I'm not a consumer of God's word. I'm not a consumer of what happens in God's church. I'm a member. I'm part of the body. I am, I am built into the structure and fiber of this thing. That's how God sees us, right? And so we need to kind of move away from this consumer Christianity. And then there's another thing I think we need to move that needs to die is the way that needs to end so that something new can come up is the way we reach people. For years, the way we reached people was we gathered everybody in a big box, we preached the gospel, and, and, and people come to know Jesus. But it's all anonymous. It's all outside of relationship. And that's not the way Jesus ever intended it to be. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for the opportunity to preach the gospel to a room full of people and people come to know Jesus Christ. But we've got to, we've got to, we've got to realize that the way Jesus wants to reach people in this new paradigm, in this new season, is through you. It's through your life being changed and transformed and you live in community with other people, both saved and unsaved, and they see your life and they're encouraged by it and they're challenged by it. That's how people come to know Jesus and become more like him. It's not in a church service only. That's not, so that needs to change. Mindsets. Some of us just, we've just got some old mindsets about how we think church should be. We need to, we need to let some of those things go. And then Joshua again, Joshua 1, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, arise. Go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. So we're acknowledging that not everyone um, is, is still with us. Not everyone, you know, in, in, in the case of the people of Israel, many died in the wilderness. Not everybody made it to the Jordan River where they're standing. But what I love about the story is that everyone who was still with Joshua that stood on the edge of the Jordan River got to cross over. Every single person. It's time to arise. It's time to go over there. It's time to cross into the new that God has for us. It's time for all of us, not just the young people, to move into the new. It's time for every single one of us to cross over into the land that God is giving us. And everyone, everyone that was standing at the Jordan had to risk something as they walked out into the Jordan. They were risking leaving some things behind, leaving some old paradigms behind. They they were going to be challenged in new ways as they crossed into the land. But we all have to leave some things behind, some mindsets behind, some paradigms about how the church was behind. So what are we walking into? Ultimately, what we see on the other side of the river is changed lives. People who were blind but now can see. People who were dead who have come back to life. People who are broken and are being made whole. We see people knowing Jesus and becoming more like him on the other side of the river. It's people coming to know Jesus having a relationship with him that changes everything. But this metaphor of Joshua and the people of Israel crossing the Jordan and going into the, into the land of, of Canaan, and, and what do they do when they get into the land of Canaan? It's not a trick question. They fight, right? 
Because Jesus, because God promised them land, actual land, and so the people of Israel have to conquer that land to, to, take the, to, um, to possess the promise of God, right? And so one of their first battles is what? Jericho. And so what's, what's interesting about this narrative and what I, what I really, really feel strongly about is that this, for us, this narrative falls short of what God is calling us to do. Because while God called the people of Israel to physically conquer the land, that's not what God has called his church to do. Not to physically conquer land. It's not to take over your neighbor's house and plant the flag of Jesus there in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for this property. No, that's stupid. But but what often happens is that we take this narrative and we start to approach our world like we are conquering Jericho. We surround them, we walk around them, we blow trumpets, we make these sounds, and we think that this is how God wants to take territory, but, that, but, he, but he's after hearts and minds, not land today. See, I, wanna, I, want you to see, I, I want you to see yourself with me and Mike and the other team here just walking into the Jordan. Um, God's people, we're leaving the past of, of, of what church used to be. We're walking into the new of what God wants it to be. And I, and I, don't, want you to, I don't want you to see Steve and, and Evan and Ben out in front. Oh, my leaders, just, this shared leadership thing's awesome. I just love this stuff. No, I don't want you to see any of that. I want you to see the one who came up out of the Jordan Jesus Christ, who when he came up out of the Jordan, the Holy Spirit fell on him and he said, this is, who, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. Follow him. Do what he says and do it the way he says. See, when we come up out of the Jordan, it's not, we're not following Joshua. We're following Yeshua, the Messiah, the son of the living God. And we do what he did, the way he did it. And he doesn't go around marching around cities. He goes around loving people authentically. Jesus was sitting around a table with his friends talking about the kingdom of heaven and they're eating together. They're laughing together. They, they cry together. And you know what he, and then, and then he breaks some bread and he gives them some juice and he says to them, Take this. This represents the new covenant in my blood. This is a radically new way. They, they would be sitting there listening to him and, they, and, and he does, does this and then he says that he is the lamb of God, the one who forgives the sins of the world and that you should follow him. It completely changed their paradigm. The way that they thought about how God's kingdom would come. And then he says these powerful words, love each other as I have loved you. Jesus took his people from being an army to being hosts around dinner tables. From conquering to sacrificing. From carrying weapons to carrying food, both physically and spiritually, feed my sheep. Jesus said to Peter. See, rather than replicating the ministry of Joshua, God is asking us to replicate the ministry of his son, Jesus Christ. Instead of church as a checkbox, it's just one thing that we do among many other things when we have time. 
It's instead, it's part, of, it's, it's part of the priorities in our lives of being part of a spiritual faith community that helps us grow and where we challenge one another and we grow towards Christ. And instead of being part of a church that, 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 that I just, I'm just here because it, 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 it does something for me, you know? I feel good about myself. Instead, it's like, no, I go to, to give. I go to, to minister. I go to be part of a community of people to see how I can help others. Instead of following one or three charismatic leaders, we follow Jesus. I want to invite um, the worship team back up as we take communion together. And I was thinking about this building um, this past few weeks. I was thinking about the building that we sit in and just thinking about the past and all that's happened here. And um, you may not know, this, is, this building sits on 14 acres of property that faithful people have purchased over the years. And... Um, I asked, I, asked the, I asked the team this last week, how much is this, is this whole thing valued at? And they told me 12 million, around $12 million, this, all the properties around here. And, and I said, well, how much do we owe? And of course I knew before they, it's one of those things that pastors need to know, right? So I knew it already. But um, our total debt load as a church is only 400,000 on a $12 million piece of property. Yeah, it's something to celebrate, Yeah. And there's no money trees growing in the back parking lot. It's because of the faithful giving of people over the years that said yes. And did they say yes to a building? No. To some parking spots? No. Come on. They said yes because they saw what Jesus did in this house day after day, week after week, year after year, and changing people's lives. And they said, I want, I want to cross into that. I want to be a part of that. And this is a call for a new generation of people, not young, not just the young, but all of us. A new generation of people to say, yeah, I'm in. I want to cross over together with all of God's people. I want to meet in homes and have deep community. I want to, I want to serve the, the poor and the hungry in our city and our community. So what am I asking? I'm asking for everyone. We, everyone that got to the Jordan crossed the Jordan. Not just the young, but the old. Not just the energetic, but the wise. Not the, just the youth, but the elders. Whoever made it to the Jordan crossed over the Jordan. Would you close your eyes with me for a moment? And I want to do a little visualization with you. I, wanna, I, want, you to, um, I want you to think about, um, I want you to see yourself. God, all of God's people with this church family that you're a part of, I want you to, I want you to see yourself on, on this side of the Jordan, on the wilderness side of the Jordan. We haven't crossed over yet. I want you to see yourself, just kind of picture yourself standing there in this group of people called Westside Church. And I want you to take a moment, I want you to just turn your head in this visualization. I want you to turn your head and look backwards. And I want you to ask yourself, what do I need to leave behind? What mindsets, what preconceived ideas, the, the way we've always done it, the wanting to go back to what was, what is it that just, you need to leave it. You need to leave it behind. It's, it's holding you back from embracing the future, even though you don't know what's gonna happen on the other side of the river fully. You don't, you don't, know, you don't know exactly what's gonna take place, but she's like, it's, and it's holding you back from moving that way. Just, would you right now, would you 
give it to Jesus. Jesus, I give you my old mindset, my old paradigm of what I thought, the way I thought that you would do your work. I just, I just lay that aside and I put my eyes upon you and so now I want you to turn your head back and look, look over across the river. And what you see Jesus there inviting you to come follow him to cross to the other side. And what do you see around Jesus? What kind of work is he doing? What, what, kind of, what kind of ministry is happening? What part of his plan to reconcile people to himself really resonates with you? Maybe, maybe you see a group of people gathering together, just a small group of people gathering together and they're digging into God's word and they're, they're challenging one another and they're growing deeper in relationship. And they're like, I wanna be a part of that kind of community. Or maybe you see some kids playing around Jesus and you're just like, I, I need to love the next generation to Jesus. I need to make myself available to them. I need to go in and, and just be a part of that mix and get down on my knees and love these kids, love this next generation. Maybe you see some, some people that are struggling, they're suffering, they're, they're poor, they're hungry, and you're just like, I, I wanna go and I wanna help them. I wanna serve the needs of my community practically, tangibly. Or maybe you see this church service and it's just like this, all these people with their hands raised and ministry is happening and God's presence is filling this space and you're like, I want to be a part of that, supporting the work of what happens on, on that, in that space every single Sunday. What is it? What part of the plan resonates with you? Connecting in community, loving the next generation, serving the needs of the city, supporting the work of what happens on Sundays.